Turn of the odd job pod. Please uh, do put down your card game with Kakura. I know things are getting interesting, but it is 3 a.m. in the morning and we've got an important mission for you. Yes, after the passing of Sean Connery, we thought it was only right to go back to where it all started for Bond on the big screen. Uh, this is unless you, of course, count David Niven's Casino Royale as canon, which, of course, I know that everybody does indeed. Um, we are going to be discussing Doctor No in this podcast. It's a film which we just haven't got round to, amazingly, given this is where it's all started. And yet we felt it was time to actually go back to the very start where Bond completely started on the big screen and give it the full odd job pod assessment. So um, as half-baked as usual. And joining me in as per, per usual is Terry DeFellin and Graham Sibley. Uh, gentlemen, how are you doing? Very well, thank you. Yes, extremely well. Uh, no pithy comeback today, however, unfortunately. Uh, possibly due to uh, the paucity of one-liners in Doctor No that haven't, um, you know, given me enough inspiration. <laughs> I mean, there's there's a few uh, there's a few bits of sardonic wit in there, um, if nothing else. Um, and I, I have a, a a few thoughts and feelings as well on the one-liners that we might come to um, in there. But uh, first of all, let's just open with a very obvious question. And Graham, how enjoyable was it to rewatch Doctor No ahead of this? It's always enjoyable to watch Doctor No. Actually, I think I I often think that when I approach Doctor No, that it's not going to be as good as I think it's going to be, or there's going to be things in there that are just too problematic for me to enjoy because there are. So many things. Whenever you go back in Bond, and you don't have to go back that far before you start hitting on things that don't really sit well with modern modern audiences. But with Doctor No, even though this is a film that is approaching 60 years old now, this is from 1962, it still stands up. And it, it it's, I think it stands up as much as anything because it is so clearly a period piece now. And... You see a lot of films and TV shows that, that try to ape this sort of era, that love this sort of era because of the style and everything else about it. The thing I think that Doctor No grabs me back in every time is from the opening shots. You, you hear it before you see it. That soundscape that comes about, that whole sort of like Forbidden Planet soundscape that, that, that you get in the, in the gun barrel sequence. And those sort of sound effects come out throughout throughout the later stages of the film as well but for me that just completely draws me in takes me to a different time and so i i get completely into that into that zone and so yes in short yes i did love it what watching it again and because there is so much to love in this film also there's a lot of problems in the mm. film but yeah key point love it there are a lot of there are a lot of problems, and we will we will be definitely be uh, be getting to the more problematic stuff. But Terry, I'm I actually feel exactly the same. Graham's kind of summed me up that even though the credits aren't necessarily typically what we we'd imagine Bond credits to be now when we think of them, there's just something about it that 
gets the sort of hairs on the back of your neck going for me. And you start getting drawn in and then you've moved from the John Barry theme into the, the three blind mice and all of a sudden you've got an assassination. And yes, well, we've seen it a lot of times now. Back then, I can imagine watching this for the first time and being completely hooked. And it's it's an opening sequence. We talk a lot about Bond opening sequences, and obviously this one doesn't have a, a pre-credit sequence. But from almost the first moment in there, I don't know how you feel, but but I I get drawn in every single time. Yeah, the credit sequence, although different in a way, is obviously Morris Binder, so it is consistent. Uh, moreover, Graham refers to the, the sound effects uh, that the movie opens up with. It must have been, as you say, Guy, it must have been quite uh, an experience to watch this movie for the very first time, particularly in, in cinemas in, in, in 1962. I imagine that it, it would have been more reminiscent of initially watching a science fiction film. And it's interesting because there is a Obviously, Bond is grounded in what we could describe the real world, or perhaps we should say a sort of like fantasy equivalent thereof. But you know, it is it is fantasy, um, and that maybe science fiction isn't entirely inappropriate. Um, and uh, yeah, it, the the opening sequences, the location, I think it works extremely well. The card game, the setup for that, and then the savagery, uh, the violence. And at this point, there's no sort of like humour baked into this to this sequence anyway. There is humour in the film, but not at this point. And I would imagine that the cold-blooded murder of just of a man and a woman, and then I would imagine in particular a woman in 1962, would have been quite a shock and so quite an entrance. And Graham, um, how does the film stand up overall watching it back? Yes, we'll, we'll probably come to some of the more problematic bits here and there, but as a film as a whole, how does this stand up when you put it up against a, all the rest of the Bond canon? How does how does this stand up by itself, ignoring the fact that it, it obviously starts spawning a lot of the, the themes and motifs that we become very familiar with Bond as uh, as we move through the the years? Well, of course, it, all it's got to go on is the books and, of course, the, the creative input of the people that they bring in for the film. Of course, as the franchise goes on, it's you've got all the previous films that 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 they can draw upon and expand upon or or just get rid of you can see they've got things in there that are being used even to the films today m's office for instance the the in the in the 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 latter craig films you, you've seen a, a hearkening back to that um so you've 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 got things like that that, that go all the way through the introduction of the major boothroyd the first q there although it's done in a completely different way you can see that's that for me underlines the way that this is different from all the other bond films it it's one thing that you don't that doesn't sit right it's all like well he's not q this isn't really this isn't really a q scene he's what he's just giving him a gun but you can see that this is the sort of seeds. These are the seeds being sown here for what is is to come in future films. 
and and you can see with the next two films the progression is really rapid you've got this film with you've got uh, uh peter burton i think is the is the actor who who plays q in this one and and obviously you go on to the next one where you have regular q comes in although he's not called q he's, he's still called major boothroyd so he's the first character to be to return with a different actor but he's giving him more sort of like what we think of as gadgets and then you go on to the next film Goldfinger and you've got the car with the ejector seat and the machine guns behind the behind the indicators so it it, it those are that's that's just one example of the way that that the that the films escalate throughout those early films into what we see think of as a bond film and what we expect from a bond film but really they get so much of it in this first one so much of it is there and you can tell that they get it right because there's so much of this. This is referred to in in the in the pastiches and the parodies of it. They go back to Doctor No and they take bits out of it because it's got so it's got some of the most iconic stuff in there. Really, no more than Ursula, mm. but which we will discuss her at length, I'm sure later. <laughs> and if not, I'm getting out of it now. <laughs> I mean, Terry, I, I'll, I'll kind of follow on by that. And um, for for me as well, there is I, I I was I think I always get surprised when I watch Doctor No, just how much has been really well established that you can watch it now, and it feels like it is a it, it's just part of the canon. It's done a little bit differently, but it holds up as as, as a film that actually. You could probably insert it anywhere in the Bond canon, albeit updated a little bit, depending on the era it's in. But it doesn't feel like it's had to work particularly hard to establish it. And other than a few things, such as it being, you know, perhaps a little bit more taut and and a little bit less um, flashy until you sort of get to the end, you you know where you are with this franchise. And it's actually... Uh, for me, it doesn't feel like it's it's hard to suddenly see how it evolves so quickly because of just how much they got right as what we know as Bonds now, albeit they probably didn't know how much they'd got right until you look back on it. But there, there was an awful lot there which they just seemed to to nail and and on a budget that is is probably considerably less than uh, than Ken Adam had to play with on on future films. I think the the film had the um, the wisdom rather of drawing from an extremely good James Bond book. Uh, Fleming's Doctor No is an excellent James Bond book, and I think that they they benefited also from the choice of the fact that they only needed to do one location uh, out in the Caribbean, obviously in Pinewood as well. But uh, you know they didn't they didn't they, they they didn't have to have James Bond jetting around the world, so uh, that that I think helped it. But also, I think that because they relied on the Fleming James Bond universe in order to fill out this movie as well, they brought Felix Leiter uh, uh, in. They introduced Spectre, um, and I, I think that there was a degree of sort of like an understanding of a broader universe that was already coming in there that as Fleming had already established that I think perhaps helped. I mean, I watched the film. The last time I watched the film, I watched it to try and understand. Try, I tried to imagine what, what it must have been like to have watched it for the first time. It's impossible, isn't it, really? Um, but I, I mean, I did try and put myself in in that position, and and I would have I would have thought felt quite reassured that I was sort of like in an established, nice 
type action genre movie. Maybe not a not necessarily a spy genre film. Um, those are fairly nascent genres at the time, but. Uh, I, I would have felt that this would have been a very reassuring film. Uh, and I think that that would have been refreshing to certain audiences as well. And and also, Terry, the um, the look and feel and just the, the production design on there, it feels very much of its time, but it also feels very, with a nod to the future as well. As, as you, you said, it's science fiction, but there's also a lot of groundedness in there that it's... Um, which is probably comes across with the, the way it looks and feels. It's it's futuristic, but feels like, and again, I'm trying to imagine it watching it for the first time in, in 62, but it also feels part of what I would imagine would have been the here and now. Yeah, certainly. And that to that, you can thank Sid Kane, the art director, and Ken Adam, the production designer, who, who produced some uh, um no, this this produced some fantastic visuals for this movie um, on virtually no money whatsoever. But it was also made uh, with a view that this was that if it was a success, they were going to do more than one. Uh, I mean, they'd initially, you know, tapped up Cary Grant for the role of Bond, but he said he could only do the one. Um, and they had it in mind that they would, if if it worked, that they would they would not but they would do movies of the other uh, Fleming novels as well. So, I mean, like Sylvia Trench was initially brought in with the idea that she would, you know, be Bond's girlfriend for six or seven movies. And Lois Maxwell was brought in on the understanding that she'd be back, you know, and I believe that was the case with Bernard Lee as well. So they knew that they were building a, a series of movies if all if this movie went well. And I think that that also gave them the confidence to be able to sort of like set the movie up to sort of like say, you know, this this is a this is a thing now. Get used to these. These are you're going to see be seeing more of these movies, uh, and and it really shows. It is go back to what Graham was saying earlier about the age of the movie. It is extraordinary that there's that this movie's legacy still exists in you know twenty well twenty fifteen shall we say in the in the last movie. I mean you know obviously we've got you know Morris Binder's uh, captions, but but I would suggest to you that if you were to sit down and really you know, if you were like a proper film studies person and, 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 and knew all of this stuff, you'd look, I'm sure you'd look at elements of Dr. No and you could probably draw a line through the movies to Spectre. Um, and, and it's not just in terms of the more obvious stuff uh, and you know, obviously the characters, you know, and stuff like that. But, and the, but in terms of even in the, the format of these movies, of this movie is so enduring. Um, and it is, uh, it's a testament to the fact that this movie has, has been able to set this template, some of which is still in use today and is likely to be used in the next film whenever we get to see it. Yeah, there's a there's a lot that is just consistent in there. It's it's not as if they had to take two or three films to to establish what Bond was. It was it was there and straight in. And there's some um, for me. There's a big confidence about the film. There's almost a confidence that they. They knew what they were doing, and you you can sense when you see a film on screen that you've got a crew behind it who feel like they're working on something good. You you can really kind of feel that, and it comes through just with every element from from the directing through to as, as you said, Terry, the production design. Um, and Graham, when you talk about confidence as well, um, you you've got an actor who wasn't really that well known at the time who carries off what is now an iconic role with a lot of panache. 
and really establish the template going forward for what Bond should be. And we've, we've spoken in other podcasts when people say they want to get back to Bond, what they really mean is probably they want to get back to Connery in the very early films. Yeah, quite. As as Terry said, there was uh, Cary Grant was like was lined up for this role. Uh, Cary Grant was actually Cubby Broccoli's best man at his at his, his wedding, and and actually I I watched a film I watched uh, North by Northwest not long ago, which was made three years before this one, and you can see a hell of a lot of Doctor No in in North by Northwest, and and you can see where a lot of the of the crew were 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 sort of aiming towards thinking if we can make a film like north by northwest for pittance which they did then they'd be onto something good and i think that's what they get and i think that's what uh, there's nothing groundbreaking in this film even at the time there's there really that it's just a really well made made film and it's a lot like bond bond very rarely breaks new new ground it does things little things that the the that people that, that you'll start seeing in other films but a lot of the time it, it's picking apart it's, it's being a magpie and actually doing that and, and bringing it out and bringing it to the franchise and then and then giving it to people who are hungry for more and uh, and that's what it really does, does well but yeah you're right um connery does come into this role unfancied um really unknown and and just makes it his own apparently a lot of the a lot of the shaping of of his role was done by uh, by the director Terence Young, uh, who was uh, who everyone described as being the embodiment of Bond. He was the he was the guy in the in the Savile Row suits and the uh, uh, and just incredibly cool and just basically told Connery how to play to play it as well. And as well, it was it was it was Young who had all of the it, a lot of his mates are in the film in these very suave roles as well if, if, you, if you see like, like the old men in the club most of them are, are terence young's mates uh so it, it, it that's that's part of it and i think that's the terence young's role in the whole franchise it can't really be understated i think it, it's it, it is very important and i think it helps it helps when you've got someone like, like connery who will take direction like that and actually Young knew knew what he could get out of Connery and and got it completely. So it, it's 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 part of the whole thing that, that makes it that gives it such a good start. It gives Bond such a good start in life, and of course Connery just runs with it for the rest of the decade, and then it's picked up, played in a different way by by more afterwards, and and other actors as well. It's interesting you should say more because I mean for me this this film like it is it is Connery and Connery establishes it, and you have got that kind of grittiness and violence but there's a few moments in there where I kind of stopped for a minute and when I could see more delivering those lines or I could see how more could actually have come in and you could have put more into this film quite easily which I don't think you could have done in a lot of other of the Connery films but there's certain things and the one that that kind of um springs to mind or there's, there's a couple of lines that spring to mind one is where um ursula andress honey rider says that you know she killed uh killed somebody by putting a, a spider under the pillow and he just goes well don't make a habit of it then and then another one where he's uh, um seducing miss tarot and uh goes i thought i was here to admire the view and just the kind of loushness that comes up from it and there's, there are little bits within the whole film where you're like, 
this is where you could see that Connery Moore blending. And when, when people kind of talk about Roger Moore took it in a different direction, I watched this and went, no, I actually think he still took a lot of cues from where Dr. No started. He just played to his particular strengths rather than Connery who, who could, you know, when the, the bits which had the just kind of the tautness and the seriousness and, and the violence, that's where probably Connery came in a bit more. I couldn't see um, Moore doing quite as well with the uh, the um, John McClane diehard style uh, crawling through the pipes, which obviously is come oh, quite a few years away from there. But there's a lot of things, especially when when you've kind of got some of those slower sequences. I can see a lot of of, of the two actors sort of sitting side by side in this, which I don't think certainly by the time you got to From Russia with Love. I don't think you could have put more into that movie, uh, really, at all. Uh, no, especially like the line when he shoots Dawson and says that that's a Smith and Wesson, and you've, and you've had your six. That's Connery. That's that's completely Connery. You can't imagine more delivering that line at all, can you? But you're right. You, you, there are no. lines in there. There are there are there, there are the the, 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 the yes, <laughs> the, the, the one where, where he's uh, uh, yeah when when he's in a room and saying yeah I thought he was here to admire the view. That is totally totally more, isn't it? <laughs> they they adopted that kind of lighter touch, particularly because they were concerned about the sexual scenes would would not do well with the censors and would not necessarily play well with some audiences. And they felt that by adding a little bit of a, of a light touch to, situ- to, to those situations, that it might sort of, you know, change the context, alter the context ever so slightly. Which, and I think that that was probably wise, because obviously they knew the contemporary audiences very well and understood people's sensibilities. Um, and and very skillfully done. Skillfully done. And then, of course, yes, set set a, 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 a tone for for the rest of the franchise, but one that was done more out of pragmatism rather than any kind of sort of like, you know, artistic endeavour. Uh, and it was one that, yes, that they would use quite a lot on with dear old Roger. Just just, just um, going back to what Graham was talking, saying about North by Northwest, because I, I, that's a movie that preoccupied me for quite a long while. Um, and I watched it obsessively for a, a little while, much earlier in life. Uh, and I became somewhat preoccupied with the idea that, oh, wouldn't it have been great if if Hitchcock had directed Dr. No uh, 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 with Cary Grant as James Bond? And, I, and I, 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 there's a counterfactual somewhere where that, where that actually happens. There's a parallel universe where that happens. Um, uh, but, I mean, it would have probably, the only difference is that it would have been lavishly expensive because by this point, Hitch was commanding huge budgets. Um, and yet we may not have seen another one. Hmm. Uh, we may have seen the only James Bond afterwards because they may just thought, well, we're not making a sequel to that because, you know, or conceivably it might have been terrible because Hitch was not incapable of, of creating stinkers. So, you know, uh, 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 so it, it would have been a really, really interesting uh, thing to do. But yeah, there's a lot about, uh, it's perhaps largely because of the color, color palette of the movie, but uh, uh, there's a lot of, of North by Northwest, I feel, uh, in Dr. No. You could How perhaps a, argue that it's a that, that it's a, that it's an actually a, a, just a cheap knockoff. <laughs> if you wanted to be unkind, <laughs> it's a cheap version of of, of North by Northwest. Or it could have been if it would been badly made. I was going to ask, in, in terms of Bond as a whole, Terry, how much of a debt do you think Bond, Doctor No, especially, but but Bond as a franchise, owes to Hitchcock? I certainly think um, that Hitchcock's contribution to the spy film genre. Um, is fairly considerable, going all the way back to Foreign Correspondent. 
But I think, I mean, I think more broadly, I think the spy genre owes Hitchcock a lot. And therefore, I think Bond does as well. Um, I, I wouldn't be at all surprised if, you know, Hitchcock movies were probably in the back of the minds of, you know, Fleming while writing those novels and um, and, and indeed, obviously, Broccoli and Saltzman and Terence Young and, and all of those guys. I mean, they would have been watching these movies. They were blockbusters. Everybody watched the Hitchcock movies. So I imagine that, yes, they owe quite a lot to him, although perhaps not directly. Um, it would be interesting for somebody, and I'm sure maybe somebody has actually done some kind of attempt to sort of like make some kind of link uh, with Hitchcock and Bond. But it is it is a, it's a lost opportunity, I think, of the era. And I suspect it's probably because Bond, the movies came along a little bit too late for Hitch. I think if they'd done a Bond film in the mid-1950s, I reckon Hitch might have been up for, for doing one. Uh, and that would have been something to behold i think mm. one of those those questions and it's fascinating as well because when you you now have got sam mendes who is, is much more of a kind of auteur um sort of rather than than i mean i think it's probably unfair to say that um <clears throat> some of the bond directors were, were kind of slightly more jobbing directors but but mendes is probably one where you've got much more of a a director who's been established um, rather than one who is just known for doing great action films or or sort of doesn't really you wouldn't necessarily go and say oh you know I'm 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 going to going to see a film by that Michael Apted who who did the world is not enough you you wouldn't have kind of gone and seen an action film you're going to see a Bond film but there's bit that goes into there um. Graham, just kind of going back as well to to sort of talking about what we've established, and I feel it's only fair to come to you for this. Um, Bond uh, establishes the uh, or, or this this film very clearly with one very distinctive shot establishes probably how the franchise is going to take its approach to female characters. Yes, <laughs> yes, it does. Uh, let's face it: if you cast Ursula Andress and they did then you may as well get your money's worth out of her. <laughs> and they certainly Ooh. do. <laughs> uh, the, the, one thing, the, the, the one thing I did find about this film, and I think it's the one thing that really, really dates it for me, is the fact that nearly all the female actresses in, in this film are voiced by one person. And they're nearly all voiced by Nikki van der Zyl. And uh, she does the voice for uh, for Honey Rider. She does the voice for Sylvia Trench, and I think I think she also does the uh, the voice of uh, Annabelle Chung, the photographer in the in the bar. Uh, so they've all got this slightly Germanic voice, this very clipped, slightly Germanic accent, which is pretty much the same voice and so they, they're all talking the same which talk, talk, lends it becomes this sort of background blur almost i mean she does it really well and and the and, and the actresses involved do their roles really well but it just disappoints me because I, I remember seeing one of the extra things on the on the dvd which has uh marguerite lavors uh who who played the photographer and she's got this lovely Jamaican accent. Actually, really, really lovely, mellifluous tones that she's got there. And you just think, this is perfect for a film set in, in, in Jamaica. But of course, she's actually done up and she's actually given the name Annabelle Chung. 
So she's actually this 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 Jamaican girl who is actually meant to be playing some Asian woman. I don't know, but it it, it, it doesn't. That's not, of course it doesn't explain that. So yeah, that's 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 one thing I think that that this film the film fails on. But it, it, that's that's part of when it was made. They obviously wanted they they obviously didn't like too strong accents in the film. But I, I don't know why Eunice Gason's voice wasn't wasn't used. Um, but yeah, obviously it sets the tone, and and every Bond girl that's followed has had to be measured up against Ursula Andress. And so when they say, "Oh well, how are you going to play your Bond? How is this this Bond's going to be?" They never ask the the actresses. Well, are, are you going to play it like like Ursula Andress? Can we expect you to see you coming out out of the sea in a bikini carrying a couple of shells? Um, well, yeah, <laughs> probably not unless you're Halle Berry. But you know, <laughs> <laughs> I think you you sort of put it into nicely a, a little bit of a segue into the fact that this can be a um, a slightly problematic film. Although, Terry, I actually found this probably less problematic to watch than I did Octopussy. Yeah, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I was thinking, oh, God, yeah, how terrible is this going to be, you know, in terms of sort of like the portrayal of women? I, I, I think, obviously, the, the, the sort of like evening out of the accents of different actresses is like sort of like gives you perhaps a kind of idea of of, of what the producers kind of think of women in general that they can just sort of like have you know that's fine we'll just use the same actress it's no problem you know, I, I never dream of doing something like that with, with with male characters even you know sort of like you know supporting male characters for me the thought of the one that always um uh, leaps out uh, is Bond and, and Miss Tara, oh, yeah. uh, which just just really makes me feel quite uncomfortable. You know, every time I watch the scenes that that those two have, and it's pretty clear to me that that you know Miss Tara has is being coerced into having sex with this man, um, and and not necessarily in a kind of king and country doing it for the fatherland or the motherland or doing it for state or for a broader political purpose you know i'm 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 a russian agent and i'm with orders to seduce you kind of way you know in a kind of you know i don't i don't you know i'm just i just i work for the bad guys but i'm the bad guy's secretary and now i'm told i have to shag this guy and he could possibly kill me because he's a you know he's a murderous secret agent and and, and i just think that 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 sequence just didn't don't go well for me at the same time and i you know i don't know you could judge me how you like they are difficult scenes to not watch they're magnetic there's great chemistry between the two of those characters i, I i'd have to disagree with you that i think it, it is easy to watch to look to look at that scene and think oh like she she's the victim here but you could also see is like she's luring him to his death and she has to think on her feet. She doesn't expect him to arrive because she thinks he's going to be dead. And so I, I think he actually plays it really well. He, he, they know that they're on opposite sides. It, there is this unspoken thing. She, you can hear her on the phone, like, so you know, keep him busy mm. for two hours. So basically, just, just, you know, you're there to, 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 to distract him. And this is the thing that goes throughout the whole film. This is throughout the whole run of films is the fact that both sides know what they're doing. And in many times, the, the woman is there to either aid his death or to kill him uh, herself. No one is an innocent victim in, in this film, I don't think, apart from, well, is the secretary in the, in the opening scene? No, well, she's not. She's working for British intelligence as well. So people die in, in, in this film. And because they're women, 
is that doesn't mean to say that they are less worthy of 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 being killed. Yeah, it it is tough because they are obviously all the women in in, in the film are subordinates to someone. They they don't have a lot of agency there. They're all just reacting to what's going on around. But then again, most of the male characters are like that as well. I'm not attempting to make a general case about about the portrayal of women in capitalized letters, but I mean, I, I think for me, I, I, she, she for me is is someone who has been asked to do far more than 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 she than really is above her grade. Uh, and let's include that in does indeed include you know luring someone to a death. I think that the co- the, the phone conversations for me are the are the tell where she's mm. extremely extremely concerned. I would say frightened about what is what is happening and what is going to happen, and, and that makes me feel uncomfortable. Um, but and not in necessarily in a way that I'm supposed to feel uncomfortable because it's drama. <laughs> um, but I, I take your point. I mean, yes, I mean she's she's definitely did sign up to work for the bad guys, and so yeah, um, there is a degree of of risk involved in in that kind of thing. And it's not like she was killed either. She was she was taken away by the police by the police. So. Yeah, I think if you balance that up against the the driver that picks up Bond from the airport. I suppose that that shows you another lackey. Basically, all he was meant to do was delivering, and then all of a sudden he's taking a cyanide pill. So they're obviously the 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 lackeys are are willing to to put their lives down on the line, and I suppose that that gives you the impression of how much fear these put into the the members of the organisation, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. And knowing that this is this this establishes the menace of Doctor No, I think really really well because that's established right from the beginning. Because yeah. even though we don't know anything about this movie or what's going to happen in this movie you know two people are brutally gunned down in cold blood in the first sort of like two minutes of the movie um and you know that certainly and 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 yet as the movie progresses you know it's becoming very clear that people would rather die and indeed take their own lives than face the wrath of dr no um and this sets things up really really nicely um and is one of the movie's great strengths you need that kind of stuff to be able to, to 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 build in the audience the necessary trepidation about the eventual encounter with this person, whoever they are. Yeah, well, well Graham, let's um let's talk then about Doctor No, um the eponymous Doctor No, um <coughs> and uh, and Joseph Wiseman's portrayal, and, and again there are problematic elements into here, but also one of the the elements that I just enjoyed that, that Terry's touched on perfectly is just how good a, a an idea for a villain is because I can imagine watching this for the first time and the fact that you barely see Doctor No until the final reels is genuinely quite unsettling all the way through and then when you finally see him yes now you probably might uh, create the character a little bit differently but there's just a, a real sense of menace in that in that dinner scene between um bond and no totally the first scene that you're really introduced to know is the bit where dawson uh gives his evidence to him he or, or where where he, he he comes into the room there's just one chair in the corner there's that lovely skylight that is shining down in there as well it's a beautiful space but it's really sinister, and the voice—the voice just cuts through, doesn't it? It—it it is. It, it's 
it's almost like harkening back to the sort of like old Universal picks, isn't it? That sort of like style and uh, uh, and and sound to it to it as well. The 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 timbre to it to his voice, but it's so flat. But the real skill that 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 he brings to it, that Wiseman brings, is is the amount he can bring across in such a, a monotone voice. And and it it is perfect. It, it, he was a, a stage actor primarily, and that's, that's where he always wanted to describe himself as. Um, and I I can imagine that he would have been absolutely spellbinding on uh, to see him live on stage, delivering lines like that. And yes, it is difficult for a, a Westerner, but to to play someone who's half German, half Asian, and and uh, okay, so that they get him in it's 1962 okay we've got to go with that i mean we've got we've got xena marshall who is playing miss tarot who's also meant to be asian uh and then we've we've already explained about about other roles as well they, they don't really care back then uh about as far as that's concerned but i think for for what we we get from 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 wiseman is just a really really well-played villain and he he exudes menace and you and yes when they sit down to dinner it is just all about the menace because yeah he comes across when he starts coming off across it, it seems really weird now because the scenes those scenes have been here we go with uh, have you got the bell ready terry we've got to do our austin powers <laughs> reference now but <laughs> it, it, there oh, he no. is he's, he's giving it the full doctor evil isn't he at, at the table <laughs> and especially now I mean, like you know those films are what 20 25 years old now but and so they're ingrained in, into it into our brains um and so that's one thing is is i, I can watch this uh, and and take it seriously i wondered just whether or not anyone who has only ever seen the the Craig films uh, at at the cinema and comes and sees Doctor No and thinks is is this is this bad guy for real but they're still drawing upon him now they're still drawing upon him uh, uh yeah Christoph Waltz you, you look at the look at that those those uh, scenes in his lair it's, it's all Doctor No isn't it the obvious physical deformity the Nehru collar the desire to, you know, uh, explain your plans and tell your backstory, you know, you know, so much of this endures and did endure throughout the franchise and returned. I mean, I think during the 1970s and 80s, it got a little bit cheesy and they tried to move away from it, but not much, frankly. Um, And they rejoiced in it positively when they brought in Christoph Waltz to play Blofeld. Because, I mean, let's face it, sort of like Dr. No, in terms of the movies, is a proto-Blofeld. I mean, this is where they were going with this guy. If they decided to keep Dr. No alive, the character alive, um, then it might well be that he would have he would have continued on that way. But in effect, he turned into Blofeld. Um, and Wiseman's portrayal is definitive, absolutely definitive. He is the original James Bond movie, movie villain, you know. And I know that's a stupid thing to say because it's the first film, but it needn't necessarily have been that way. Uh, James, the Doctor No could have been a different film. In many ways, it is different to the James, to the other James Bond films. It's not settled upon its format quite yet, you know. Uh, um, uh, but but one of the things that these does stick from the outset is the James Bond villain, and they are still doing those James Bond villains to this day, um, uh, which is absolutely extraordinary. Uh, I, I, what can you say about the fact that he is portrayed as a, a you know, as a half Asian character? Uh, I, I mean, I, I, I think that, 
what you can say is that they really shouldn't do something like that now. And they probably shouldn't have done something like that then. But they did. And the choice that we have to make is to enjoy it or not enjoy it. And I choose to enjoy it. Mm. I mean, I uh, I found watching Dr. No that um, I almost felt that I needed to go back to our World Cup of Bond villains and potentially reassess where he sat in there. Because I uh, by the end of it, I was like, this guy, I'd forgotten just how genuinely creepy he was and also how much he had the upper hand over Bond, which not all of the um, the villains you necessarily think do. Uh, yes, no pun yeah. intended there. That's a bit um, of an insensitive remark, actually, Gary. I withdraw my comments. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, you, you take, and I'll take sort of a, a random um, a random villain here. There, there's... There's a few of them where, certainly probably in the Moore era, that you don't always get the sense that that they're quite that step ahead of um, of Bond that they think they are. Um, whereas here, actually, this was you know when he makes that comment that you're just a you're just a stupid policeman. Um, there's actually and. I, I know I've kind of referenced John McClane. There is almost a bit of a, a, a kind of the line that you can draw through to there because Connery at this stage, or sorry, Bond at this stage, is having to think on his feet. And he's not this kind of... Up to then, he'd been very comfortable in his world of, of espionage and spying, and he was... You got the sense he was in control. And then at the point when he was captured, which happens a lot, but... A lot of the, the later films, because he's Bond, you know he's going to get out of it. Whereas this one, you know, what he's doing is not a million miles away from um, Bruce Willis suddenly realising that he can get a machine gun and, and just thinking on his feet. Um, you can obviously tell it's Christmas just after we've recorded this because I've watched all the Die Hard movies. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. I mean, when, I, when, yeah. <laughs> We're just a... Just a quick few remarks, if I may, about that about that scene, because let's just also consider this, because, I mean, Graham has rightfully fulfilled us with great deal of praise for Joseph Wiseman uh, and his acting ability. But let's just also consider that scene, because the one of the reasons why that scene is so special is also because of Connery's role in, in that as well. And, and, and he carries that off and that biplan, that interchange extremely well and extremely effectively. And this is by no means a lister leading man sean connery at this point this is guy who had you know, numerous bit parts or had played supporting roles albeit extremely well it should be said uh, in other movies but was not necessarily the kind of guy who you would expect to to, to pull off that kind of role for a will and and you know he did it definitively and, and to your point the, your diehard point you know it, it, although i mean he actually he succeeds if we go in universe here, Bond succeeds in in convincing Dr. No that he is a stupid policeman. Because Bond is not a stupid policeman. He's a double O agent. You know, he's he's at the top of his game. He's the best, you know, of the British agents. He's clever, he's resourceful, and he's prepared to take a kicking in order to get himself out of a situation and then into a new situation where he can then change it. And the first thing he does when he wakes up is he escapes. He gets the hell out of there. Uh, now, obviously, it's because, you know, you know run times of movies and you don't want to have him 
walking around figuring out what to do. But, you know, I mean, this is the this is the level of creativity and dynamism that the character has and that Bond has. And these are also very, very important scenes because we, again, get to understand and appreciate the kind of character and kind of person that James Bond is. And Sean Connery is has everything to do with making that work you know uh, along with obviously the fantastic sets and 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 and, and brilliant brilliant direction but uh, but you know what i mean yeah graham i mean um i think that's a nice kind of way to take it into talking something that we we talk about a lot on this podcast which is how things could potentially have been different and we talk about bond films when we know that they've hooked it up well and we know that when it's established early on there's just something about a good Bond film where you can start seeing everything clicking very, very quickly and it doesn't let up at all. And it would only take one miscasting or one sort of uh, plot direction that can sometimes just take the film off in, in a slightly wrong direction or the writers lose their sense of tone. Um and I think for me, and I don't know how you feel, but this is one of the things I, I, I enjoyed, again, when watching Dr. No, is that this is a film where everybody feels incredibly focused. Everything is is there and all the decisions are right. And it, sometimes it's probably luck that it's aligned. Um, I mean, it could have been, a, as, as we've said, it could have been a very different film if you'd had um, Cary Grant in, 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 um, in the lead role. But... Unlike some Bond films, this genuinely, this genuinely kind of holds together and it doesn't try to deviate. It knows what it is from the minute that it starts to the, to the minute that it ends. And that's the good template that all other Bond films have followed, not just for the fact of, yep, we've got the girl, we've got the villain's lair, explaining plan, Bond captured, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. It's just it's a film that knows what it wants to be, which you can't always say that for other films in the franchise. No, exactly. I think that's one thing that you, you find one of the, the most enduring things about about Bond is the fact that it's got so many good people who bring so much to it. And if you say, well, we, we've, we've spoken, we've had a couple of podcasts about the DNA of a Bond film, about what what runs through them all. And and a lot of the time it is because you've got the John the the John Barry music or you've got the Ken Adams set design, of the Morris Binder credits and and, and all those sort of things that the names that that kept coming over and over and over again. Of course, this is the first one, so you don't have that legacy there. But you've got people there who are and who know if well who aren't exactly known. They're not unknown. But they're not they're not a listers. They're not they're not they're not stellars, are they? They're, they're, but what what you've got here is you've got got people who who are pretty much been promoted in this film. Sean Connery's been been promoted. Ursula Andress was was pretty much only a model really when 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 she got this, and and so all the, the these you're you're going up a couple of levels and they're bringing it. They're bringing their A game to it, and so and yeah, call it magic, call it good choices in in in, in casting and, re, and, and recruitment but the it, it all turns out into something that that is really good yes there are are problems with this film yes it's a bit cheap yes the end is probably the, its weakest point in the film and and there are things that haven't aged well in it but really uh, uh, going back to the, the, the 
the first question you asked me about about how how, how this stands as the the test of time and i think what what we've what we talked about so far is has, has proved it is the fact that it's just a really well-made film and in fact even though i think the ending is a little bit weak it, it it's quite truncated and so it gives you a lot more time on the island with 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 bond and ursula which are, which are great scenes because there's great chemistry there absolutely great great chemistry and you've got the first half of the film which is which is good spy film it it's it is about about bond and felix and and going around jamaica and like finding out what what's going on and that, so essentially the whole film just just has so much to offer and and i think that's the best thing about about dr no it's it's, it's the biggest praise i think i can give dr no is the fact that there is so much of interest in this film but it doesn't feel like they've thrown the kitchen sink into it 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 it, it is it's varied even though it's basically just one location it's not one one location but it effectively it's one location it's not him just jetting around the world just for the sake of jetting around the world this is this is an operation it's in jamaica because that's where where it happens and 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 the story is great mm. I, I, it's interesting you talk about the spy um element as well which which i think is the last bit that we probably should touch on in here and, and terry i've talked about bond's potential legacy into action genre such as you know trace a trace a line into there into die hard we can see the parody in austin powers as well and, and we've talked about how bond has taken a lot of the the kind of masterful dna from from hitchcock as well and, and the kind of elements that come into that but also watching this film it, it's not the quickest film all the way through it's actually the bits in the middle are quite a sort of taut spy thriller and again you can see the influence bond has had on the spy genre if you take out the kind of slightly more big action set pieces actually there's a lot of doctor no which you can you can take through into perhaps some slightly slower quieter more more kind of hard boiled spy thrillers that follow yeah, certainly. I mean, it's a it's an aspect I think of uh, of of Bond that we might see uh, a bit more. Uh, I think that our next podcast is going to be from Rush with Love, so we can perhaps explore that that aspect of it a little bit more there as well. Um, but yeah, certainly. I mean, I, I I'm not really sure about my spy film timeline and to what extent um, it really. Uh, is groundbreaking in that area. But I certainly agree with you that what it does is it gives license, I think, to other filmmakers to say, oh, well, we should make you know movies like this. I mean, I'm a, a, a big fan, as I'm sure you both know, of the Ipcris file. It's my, it's my actually, officially my favourite movie. Um, and uh, although there are times when it's not, but you know what I mean, it is officially, it's the one I take with me to my desert island. Um, full of beautiful women full um, of us or andres full of us yes indeed, indeed. uh anyway where was that yes yeah, sorry uh beautiful women yeah yeah no, no so but i i suppose you could possibly given that that was a harry saltzman production as well you could possibly draw a bit of a line from dr no to there in those early stages um i'm not so sure but uh i mean it, I don't think the, the movie doesn't, it's not like Die Another Day. It's suddenly, it's not this kind of taut start spy thriller and then suddenly becomes another movie, sort of like halfway through or, or three quarters of the way through. It's, it moves quite nicely and, and, it, and it grows in, you know, it becomes more, more grand and more 
ambitious in scope, uh, I think quite quite naturally, and it works quite nicely. I think the, the move to Crag Key gets them out of that thing and, 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 and gently introduces us into what is a very different other part of the film, which again is more still more formulaically Bond. And those, you know, those sequences on Crab Key and, and Doctor Knows Lair are, are really, really quite spectacular. I know the, I know we don't necessarily like the actual final sequence because it's a bit low rent. It's a, it's the cheapest underground complex. You know, it's not, it's not, it's not exactly, you know, uh, you only live twice. But it's the germination of you only live twice. You only live twice is like, you know, <laughs> totally. Ken Adams has gone one day. One day I'm going to be able to build one of these things inside a volcano and it's going to be fucking awesome. <laughs> you, you could just tell those were his side notes on, on when he was when he was drawing up the plans for this. So, yeah, next time, volcano. <laughs> you can kind of imagine him going to like Broccoli and Saltzman and, and Terrence Young. And going, okay, so, right, guys, I've got this plan and it's a volcano and you can just see... Probably cubby broccoli go no, no, <laughs> they, no. They got they, one million. They go, they, and go, <laughs> they go, Ken, Ken. I love your idea, but would you just follow me for a moment? They take him round the back and they take him to an outhouse and say, right, that there, there, that's what it is. Okay, <laughs> off you go. Do your it's best. It's a <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I like I like the uh, that final sequence, but I like it um, because I appreciate the hard work that's been put in to it i don't necessarily like it because it's good i like it because i really got a lot of respect for the people who put it together um you know i love the little miniature boats and stuff like that i think they're really dinky and funny and nice um but for me i don't think it it doesn't check you out of the film though no in my no. opinion I, I reckon that there are going to be younger bond fans who will watch this and say look i'm not having this this is just too low rent uh, and uh, and i'm not going to have it and i, I totally respect that uh, I always respect the wrong opinions of younger James Bond fans, um, but I think, but I so I I just I, I but uh, I I do I don't feel for myself that these that, that those moments check you out of the movie at all. And I have to say, when I watched it the last the, the last time for this, it's probably the most fun I've had ever watching Doctor No, because I have allowed myself to get hung up on its various other problems and foibles and shortcomings in the past. Um, and, and I've decided to put them all to one side and just try and enjoy this movie for what it was. And and, and in your fairness, it's been quite a long time since I've seen it. So there were some sequences that I'd actually completely forgotten about. It's probably my least watched James Bond film because it is a bit rough around the edges and it is a bit cheap. Um, and there'll always be another movie that I think I'd rather watch instead if I was going to watch a James Bond film. But having said that, I will certainly be rewatching it again very, very soon. Um, and and enjoying it, mm, I, I I thoroughly enjoyed it, and it was. I think I get this every time I watch Doctor No, that I just forget how much I enjoy the film. And there's some Bond films that I, I find I think I enjoy more than I do. And when I get to watch them, I'm like, mm, okay, it probably isn't as good as I remember. But there's bits that I genuinely love in it. And there's some Bond films where actually you watch and, and you reappraise, and then there's some 
where um, for, for people who've been listening to us for quite a while may remember the enthusiasm that we entered into the director's commentary for The World Is Not Enough and how we ended <laughs> that as well, how it started, how it ended, um, which I, I, I don't necessarily recommend you do, although, you know, a lot of people are in lockdown. So, you know, take take your pick. You've got a couple of hours to sit and watch The World Is Not Enough and, and listen to us and slowly lose the will to live. <laughs> um, but... As a, as a whole, um, and I think this is kind of a good point to start sort of bringing in the conclusions. Graham, at the, at the start, I kind of asked you how this film held up today. Um, just kind of shifting that a little bit and, and after our discussion, how, is, how does this film hold up overall in, in the Bond canon? And that's a really difficult question because it's the first one. It sets the template. But when you take it on its own merits as a movie that you sit down and watch and if you're like certain nerds, you kind of sit down and you mentally rank which ones you prefer and which ones you wouldn't. And, and Terry had sort of said, you know, it's one of his least watched ones because of, of X, Y, Z, although, you know, now we'll probably go back into it a bit more. Overall, as, as, a, as a kind of film within Bond, how does this, this stand up? Is it one where you probably would go, mm, you know, perhaps it is a bit too low rent and I might come back to it from time to time if it's on TV or, you know, I'm just sat there going, oh, you know, I haven't watched it in a while. I probably should. Or after this, if you kind of going, you know what, I, I, I really enjoy it and I'd happily sit down and, and watch it again tomorrow if somebody gave me a choice of a few Bond films. Uh, well, having just watched it, I probably wouldn't watch it tomorrow. Uh, but yeah, it, no, it, it is something that, uh, it is a film that I probably haven't reassessed as, as dramatically as, as Terry has, but, uh, I, it is a film that I, I have more time for, but then I, I, I've, I've just done a whole rewatch of, of, of the whole, of, of the whole, all 24 of the films and, and 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 I thought that of quite a few of them. When we went through all the all the more films as well, there were films that I thought I never watch this film. There's there's got to be a reason why I don't watch this film. And then when I watched them, I think actually no, I really enjoyed that. I, I, I can see I can see why I I used to love that film, and 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 there is no reason why I shouldn't love it. Love it now. Um, and there are some films which I love even more because I'm analysing them more because I know I'm going to talk about them for an hour or so on on on, on this podcast. Uh, and then also as well, I watch other films that, that I think, no, I love this even more because now I'm going to convince Gary that he loves it too. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really glad I don't have to convince you, Gary, that this film is a good one. Um, I, in the canon itself, it, yeah, it's mid-table. It it is. It, it's certainly not in danger of being relegated. But let's face it, Europa League is just a pipe dream for them. Put it that way. <laughs> I would go along with that. I mean, I don't think I've I've ever needed any convincing that Doctor No is is an enjoyable film. I remember, you know, watching it. I don't know whether it was the first or first time, but I do kind of, you know, I remember watching Doctor No and coming away with very fond memories. Um, you know, even though I'd, I'd watched a lot of other Bond films beforehand, I remember coming away first time and going, this, this, this was a good film. This was a film that I thoroughly enjoyed sitting down and it held my attention and it, it was enjoyable. I wouldn't, I, I'm probably doing a massive disservice. I, it is a better film than For Your Eyes Only, but I, I kind of had the very similar attitude to it that I sat down um, with, for your eyes only when when we did it recently for the podcast and went 
this is a very enjoyable use of two hours. And I feel the same for Dr. No. Different reasons, and it's a very different film, and I think it is a better film. But that kind of still, Terry, for me, that that was still my prevailing attitude. As as Graham said, for me, it's a mid-table film. But equally, you come away and you don't feel like you've wasted any time. And you come away with a little bit of a feeling of of joy. And you've, you've had a good evening if you sat down and watched Doctor No. Yeah, it doesn't have the squad depth for Europa League. Um, so I think it's comfortable. There was a time, I think, in my Bond life in which I probably would have found this film quite difficult to watch and did find this film quite difficult to watch uh, and consequently gave it quite a bit of a break uh, over time. Um, but I, I, I think possibly because I'm, I know or I've probably developed a better appreciation of film in general uh, and I've, I've come to appreciate the movie's technical qualities um uh, a great deal and and i think as i've alluded to earlier um i've come to appreciate sean connery's uh, 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 uh qualities and indeed joseph Reisman. and i like you know i always remember watching the 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 scene between connery and and and, and ursula ursula and ursula Andrews, you know as well and like and when she was giving us her backstory and just like how well that was and they're just sort of like again tremendous chemistry and there's a link here and it's Connery's because he's just he just he just links up so well with with his with his supporting actors and actresses and and did so throughout his entire career and it's it's gratifying to sort of like see you know that happening in what is his you know his first major role um, and just how easy and natural it is and I, and I don't think that you can you know understate that i mean the film i mean could well conceivably have been lost they were in many ways, they were very, they were possibly lucky to have been able to have cast him. Uh, okay, could have got that wrong and cast somebody who was no good, and, and that would have been the end of it. Um, but I mean, in in broader points, I mean, I, I think it would probably be remiss, I think, for us to not, you know, give some kind of homage to John Kitts Miller, who plays Quarrel in this film, which is another, mm. I'd have to say. <laughs> problematic uh, element to this because it, it is a, a sadly another example of of the trope of the black character uh, being killed off but but it also in, in defense it is also another uh, first example of the of the trope of bond's uh, best or closest henchman who isn't felix leiter who usually ends up either burned to death or dead in a dumpster or you know the, hanging by his legs off a piece, you know, in, in, in Switzerland, you know, it, it's, it's something that happens to people who uh, hook up with, a uh, with James Bond. Uh, and, and, and I think that, but I, I thought that Quora was absolutely superb character. Uh, again, you, you, you can, and I, people will make criticisms of his portrayal uh, and the fact that he was uh, overly perhaps overly superstitious and that perhaps this is a, a negative portrayal of, of people of color I, I would suspect that that's a conversation to be had perhaps perhaps more learned people than ourselves um but 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 nevertheless I, I found it an extremely enjoyable character extremely watchable very convincing uh, and 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 genuinely saddened when he when he met his gruesome end i have to say uh, all over again i mean that's the thing about watching a movie for the first time in a long time is that you kind of know what's going to happen but you sometimes you're not always completely prepared for the emotional reaction that you're going to get from it you know it, it's 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 nice and again that's the other thing about this movie is is that it elicits emotions from you 
sometimes James Bond films don't do that. Sometimes just James Bond films, you watch them and then they wash over you and you think, oh, that's really cool. Oh, that was a great line. <laughs> oh, that's a great stunt. Oh, that's really cool what he did there. But you don't necessarily feel emotionally, you know, engaged. There, there's an element of viscerality that, that to Doctor No that that the other movies, the other movies, technically speaking, better James Bond movies just don't have. And I, yeah. I'd, 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 I'd place even quite recent James Bond films in that respect. So I think actually it ranks pretty highly. I wouldn't want to actually put it, you know, but I, I think mid-table is right, but maybe upper mid-table. Yeah, I, I have exactly the same feelings. I, I had, I probably would imagine I had the same feelings that you had um, at Quarrel's death as well. I, I, I was kind of almost a little bit unprepared for how much I just went, oh, that, that gets you because he is and again testament to how well the character is he's played and yes there's problems with it but also that you've bought into this character he is he is a great addition to to that cast as a whole and i i completely agree it has more emotional heft than potentially um you might give bond credit for um feels like we we've kind of come into there and we we've obviously kind of wrapped up um to a certain extent but um Given that we we went through the Moors, now we're going through the Shawns, um, and um, I, I don't, you know, we we sometimes approach some Bond films a little bit of questioning and trepidation, but on this one, I'm just going to go. How much are you two looking forward to doing from Russia with Love for our next podcast? Oh yeah, oh, oh, oh. yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> now this, well, this it's is the world, it's the world champion, isn't it? World champion. Yeah, but this is the worst thing though, isn't it? Yeah. Are we going to watch it and go? Oh crap! No, this is awful. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> no. Do you know what I think? Do you know what I think is going to happen, guys? Uh, and we may well be uh, quite old men by the time we get round to this. But by the time we've done all of the Bond films, so if we do the Connery ones, yeah, and then maybe we start to reevaluate Pierce and Tim and 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 and, and Daniel. Um, and we end up doing the whole thing. We might have to do another World Cup. <laughs> mm. I, I, I'm 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 intrigued by this. I think um, we let let's face it. We were we were in a certain mindset when we did the first World Cup. Uh, hang on, guys. Isn't it been four years? Isn't it four years this year? It is four years. <laughs> it will be four years. Oh. <laughs> well. <laughs> What's being, what's being suggested here? I was being suggested here. Uh, okay. Well, you know, summer is nearly coming. Uh, and let's oh, face please it, we're still let it come. Please let it come. Yeah. So, okay. All right, then. Well, let's 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 resolve to do another World Cup then. It'll be interesting to see what the results are when we haven't finished off about three bottles of port before <laughs> recording the podcast. Uh, <laughs> I can't believe another Bond film hasn't come out since then. <laughs> Well, hopefully, well, maybe what, what we could do is we could do another World Cup then uh, in the summertime, but on the understanding that No Time to Die is out. Yeah. Which I think which is still, I'd say that was still up for grabs, personally. I don't think that's a, a thing. But to your point, no, gosh, from Russia with Love, I can't wait. I'm half a mind to go downstairs and watch it right now. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I think it's fair to say that we will watch the shit out of that film. <laughs> and with that, hopefully, uh, listeners who come on journey, um, there may be some of you who haven't seen from Russia with Love uh, and, and, and new to Bond, in which case, um, 
this is uh, a treat for you. And there may be some of you who do not, you know, necessarily share our opinion from Russia with love. Um, we respect that. You're wrong. Go and watch it. Listen, listen to our next podcast and we'll tell you just exactly how much you're wrong. And I think, you know, I know that I am frequently accused of being wrong in my uh, in my opinions of Moonraker. But anybody who has an opinion that From Russia With Love is not a good film is going to be more wrong than that, in my opinion. Uh, do, you want, do you want me to come uh, along and pretend that, that, that I don't like it and, uh, and just, <laughs> just, just, just completely be just contrarian, just, just for the sake of it? Yeah. <laughs> contrarian, contrarian Twitter, angry, uh, <laughs> angry man. Yeah, I, I, um, if you want me to, I, I can do that. I can switch that on whenever you like. <laughs> Yeah, it's a it's a pretty it's a pretty poor grift, to be honest with you. It's twenty twenty one, Terry. Come on. <laughs> yeah, we really are scraping the, the bottom of the barrel of grifts. It's be We've got to all get our kicks from somewhere. Um, but yes, our next podcast will be from Russia with Love. I think we've we've gone through Doctor No, and and you know, not that I didn't like this film, but I feel we've all had a, a, a reappraisal of it, and it's just enjoyable fun so if you're um with problems in it but if you're uh, if you're going to watch a bond film you could do an awful lot worse um as i said uh next podcast is from rush with love uh of which hopefully we are not going to to come away and feel like we did when we uh, did our world is not enough podcast um and uh yeah until that time um it will probably be out sooner than no time to die at least i feel confident in saying that but in the meantime, it just remains for me to say thank you very much to Graham and Terry, as ever, for um, not pulling me up too much on the fact of my uh, Roger Moore era um, opinions, which are considered wrong by canon, as we all know now. Um, thank you very much, dear listener, as well. We will be back, and we will be back soon for From Russia With Love. Until then, goodbye. 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 good that was that was enjoyable yeah yeah that was good that was good and enjoyed that a lot enjoyed watching the film last night and i enjoyed uh enjoyed sitting down and talking about it mm. a lot that was, was a, a lot bit, of fun i was a bit concerned that we would get hung up too much on the problematic stuff but i'm quite pleased that we were able to celebrate this film for its good points which is i think is what we should do i think i yeah. do think mm. that we 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 uh we we are a james bond podcast yeah um, <laughs> yes and not a james bond not a james bond is shit podcast <laughs> no um, there, there's other places you, i i yeah, i as exactly. i said and i gen- genuinely had that that sort of held on to that when i watched it i went you know what Octopussy was far, far, yeah. far more problematic than this. Yeah, no, I felt uncomfortable yeah, totally. through the yeah. Octopussy, even though I enjoyed yeah. it. And this, no, like, I mean, it's 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 brutal, but there's a but but it's it's also there's a there's a sincerity I think behind the film that 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 that, that pulls it off. I mean, you you get away with it. I mean, like it's not you know apart from the scenes that I mentioned, it's it's not sort of like cringeworthy really and you know in view of the age of the film it's extraordinary how it's actually held up um it's really extraordinary uh i i i i was genuinely so pleasantly surprised to 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 watch this film 
and just think, but I, it really helped that I thought like I'm gonna, you know, I don't want to go in there with my previous conce- conceptions of this movie. I'm just gonna watch this film and try and pretend I've never seen it before. And uh, it helps a lot. I mean, I, I try that with all of the ones that we do for the, this podcast. Some more successfully than others, but you know, because sometimes I mean, like Moonraker, for example. I mean, no one is going to convince me that that is a bad film <laughs> ever. <laughs> some of some of my closest friends have tried, but. <laughs> Spe- spectacularly failed. I saw a, I saw a great um, uh, Mark Gatiss uh, tweet the other day. Did you see it? I don't know if you saw it or not. He said, uh, uh, "I'm just watching back, uh, watching Casino Royale back, and and I'm watching them on the boat in the uh, uh, go, going through St Mark's Square." And he said, uh, "I wonder if in the back of his mind thought." I went, to one, went went through this square in a gondola that was disguised as a, as a hovercraft. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I mean, it's only slightly less credible than a house falling with an entire house falling on his head. Yeah. Which, which, so I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I, I there's a thing about about Dr. No. We can say about oh, it's probably. It, it, there are there are pro- problematic bits here, but people who who don't like Bond aren't gonna like it. And but then they no, wouldn't no. like a film anyway. They wouldn't like. They don't like the Bond films anyway. So it's mm. yeah, yeah. There, there's somewhere you can go and you go. Yeah, they they probably should have known a bit better than to do that, especially at the time it was made. But I looked at this one and went. Yeah, there's, there's bits I'm not comfortable with, and there's bits that if you even back then you probably could have done a little bit better. But yeah, I think it's it's that sincerity. It doesn't feel like it's more kind of slightly probably careless or, or budgetary rather than necessarily. Again, I kind of go back to Octopussy trying to bring in a few cheap laughs at the expense of colonial racism. Whereas this is is just it's the stuff that's problematic has probably been done either consciously or unconsciously, and the conscious decision is probably not to try and get a cheap laugh. It's it's probably okay. We can only do certain amount with this, or we need to move the plot on in a certain way, so we have to do this. And was probably more of a, a decision in that way rather than than sort of deliberately. I don't know. There's what I, I still like like octopusy a lot, but <laughs> there's so much in there where you go, oh wow, yeah. this is just the, even at the time it was written, it feels uncomfortable. I, I, I think that's when I get more the more concerned is when you think, well, you knew better at this time. You knew better not to do yeah. this, mm. not to do this. Mm. And I think we we've got to know it could have been a hell of a lot worse given the time it was yeah. made. It, it could have been. Far, far worse, and that's not a that's not a defence of it, but that's that's just to say that 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 we've actually got got a film that is still watchable, and 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 I don't have a problem with, uh, although you know I can see I can understand if people do have a problem with it, but uh, for me personally, mm. I don't. So it's I mean it's not like it's so bad that it that that it's got like you know BBFC or Ofcom warnings attached to it. <laughs> Yeah, you know, or 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 it's got like you know, I mean, I I I think that you know, you can look at it as a sort of like again, like as you say, Graham, you said at the time, like a like a, a period piece, and so that you can then you know put yourself in that position and say, well, this was these were the prevailing attitudes at the time, and it's 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 
has so many other qualities and so it's and it's got build good build quality it's well acted it's it's mm-hmm. it's well scripted it's well directed you know you you can look at this and say well actually this film has many other higher qualities and 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 its foibles its problems are are societal problems from the time mm. uh, and that we've moved on from that and i think that you know any you know most responsible people watching it would 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 probably be able to acknowledge that unless you just don't like that kind of movie which is fine um yeah. you know don't so, don't, don't. Don't watch it. It's not like it's Bond trying to do black exploitation or kung fu. <laughs> it, yeah, yeah, yeah. That would be a real yeah, mistake, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah, that would be a that would be a horrific mistake. Yeah, I mean, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that level of, uh, of a cultural appropriation would just be just be shocking. Uh, and I'm sure that they would, you know, as we go on deep into this franchise, that won't be happening. Sorry, are we still recording? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I feel like we're actually. Just, I think we've just recorded a little mini bonus episode. It's going to be a long Easter egg. Yeah. <laughs> just say stop and I will. <laughs> See, even, even this is the thing, uh, listeners who are still listening to this Easter egg. This is the thing. Even, even you know, we, this is just what we talk about. <laughs> yeah. We don't, we only turn the recorders on. But really, it's just, it's just us. This is what we talk about. It's slightly less formal, but it's the same thing. We're just that mad about it. Yeah, we don't yeah, normally wait for, 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 for Gary's permission to start talking. No. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it, it's evolved since the early years of just going down the pub to talk about James Bond. Yes. Yeah, although not much, really. <laughs> no. In fairness. Uh, considering we I can't go to the pub at the moment, this is what we're left with. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> yeah.